Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're concluding our series on Colossians. And we're going to go through the entire fourth chapter. Don't worry, don't freak out. The whole chapter. Bro, you've been preaching in like a week on like four verses. Yeah, just, it won't go long, I promise. Um, But we're going to look at, in this last chapter, eight things that Paul is encouraging this church, this Colossian church to do, that um, we should be following today. Remember, the Bible was not written to you, it was written for you, but these eight things um, all of it applies to you in, uh, in, in, uh, in some very specific, literal ways. These eight things that he's asking the Colossian church to remember directly apply to us for a number of reasons. First of all, because it's God's word, but second of all, because their culture so closely resembled ours today. So we're going to um, jump in. We're going to start in verse 2 through 4, and here's what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Now, in those three verses right there, two, three, and four, he gives us four things that um, I want to draw our attention to that are wildly applicable for us. Remember, the first two chapters are him teaching and getting into doctrine and the foundation of faith, who Jesus is, what salvation is. And the last two chapters are um, how to apply it, like real-life application. So we're going to go through those. So number one uh, in the first line in your notes is devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when I saw the word devote here in this passage, it made me think of... uh, the old school song, uh, Hopelessly Devoted to You. Anybody who sings that? Was it Olivia Newton-John? I was right. I didn't want to say that because I was afraid of it, and I didn't Google it before I came up here. But yeah, so bam, I felt good. I was right. Because um, she's all hopelessly devoted to you, like I'm committed, right? Well, this word devote, I looked it up in the original language. I want to give you the definition of it here. It means to join or adhere to, to be ready, to give attention be faithful, and to spend much time together. So one of the things that you can do if you don't know what a word means or you want to dig into it a little bit is take the definition of that word, replace it um, with the word that you're, um, that it's being defined and reread the scripture. And so when he's talking about devote yourselves to prayer, he's saying to join or adhere to, to be ready to pray, to give attention to prayer, to be faithful in prayer, and to spend much time together. What is prayer? Anybody, just hit me with it. Conversation, conversation with God, right? It's a conversation with God. So to sp- when you're devoting yourself to prayer, and this the, the last phrase of this definition is to spend much time together, what he's saying is keep an, on- an ongoing, open dialogue with your creator at all times. Now, we probably have a better way to interpret and understand this today than he did then, because all of us have been a part of a, of a never-ending text conversation, right? Somebody loops you in a group chat. You're looking for that silence button because you don't want it. Everyone's liking, like you're 17 people. They're liking, they're commenting, they're retweeting, you know, all that stuff. Because it's a constant dialogue. And it doesn't matter if you missed it for an hour because you were supposed to be working. <clears throat> supposed to be working. But then you pick up your phone later and you can join back in in the conversation. It is a constant running dialogue. 
This is a great picture for us in a modern context to understand we need a constant running dialogue with God. It does not mean that I cannot do anything and then I go, I'm constantly in prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And I can't talk to nobody else. That's not what that is. It is a constant sensitivity and openness to have a dialogue, a conversation with God all the time. Devote yourself to prayer. Remember, this culture was steeped in wild sexual immorality. We talked about how crazy their views on marriage were. We talked about how much there was, how much infidelity there was, cheating on people in relationships. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And they have this religious ideas that would resemble what we would call New Age. So these guys are all thinking about all of these things. And Paul's saying, reject the idea of the culture, reject the understanding and what everybody else says is all right, and devote yourself not to immorality, not to a cultural interpretation of what morality should be. He's saying, devote yourself to talking with God. Number two, he's in that, in that passage, he says, pray with an alert mind and grateful heart. Pray with an alert mind and grateful heart. <clears throat> so this is a direct shot at some of the religious practices that were going on in the day. Um, meditation was wildly, uh, was wildly prevalent during, their, during the, their, this time period in culture. And one of the things that meditation tries to get us to do, um, if you've ever seen anybody do yoga or explain it or you know, participate in it in any, any way, they try to get you to clear your mind, don't think about anything, think about like a river that's like glass, there's no ripples, it's just very still, you're supposed to be still, remove all your, uh, all your thoughts from your head and from your heart and do the ohm you know, sound because that's the frequency of life and you connect with the creator on, the, on his frequency. If you do all of that, you probably remember some of that stuff if you came to the RCC summer school or listened to that teaching on the new age. He is taking a direct shot at people, at that belief here. Not people, but that belief. When he's saying, don't wipe out all the stuff of your mind. Don't not think about anything when you go to prayer. Have an alert mind. An alert mind. Now, I don't know about you, but have, you, have any of you ever been in a situation, an emergency or a shock or, you know, something that where uh, you were given, you gave your full attention in that moment? Has anything like that happened to you? When we first moved into this house five years ago next month, um, we did not realize that we were surrounded by neighbors who absolutely love fireworks. These guys love fireworks. They shoot them off on the 4th of July, the 5th of July, the 7th of July, a random Tuesday in August. It doesn't matter. The sun came up. Fireworks. There's the moon. Fireworks. We just shoot off fireworks. These guys are shooting off fireworks all the time. And now that I'm used to it, we're all good. But the first night... You know, we're here in our new home and we've decorated for Thanksgiving and we're, prep, you know, prepping for the family to come over, you know, in a couple of days and, and for Thanksgiving. And we lay down in our room over here and oh, oh, we're like, oh, this is our new boom. We're like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? When that happened, when that happened, what, what's going on? I sit up in bed. I reach for my Second Amendment right, right? Like, that's my first thing. And I'm like, everybody quiet. Why? My ears are open. My eyes are open. All of my attention is here. What is that? I'm trying to figure it out. All my senses are heightened. I am on high alert because I don't know what happened. Now, when you go into prayer, it shouldn't be like the big firework went off and, you know, you're scared to death. 
but that same level of alertness, I'm listening clear, he's got my full attention, all my distractions have been pushed away, all of that, all of the um, stuff I'm thinking about, I've laid that down to the side, and he has my full attention. I am alert in my mind to the things that he's going to bring and do during that time of conversation with him. Make sense? I'm looking, I'm listening, I'm feeling, I'm I'm observing what's around me. I'm trying to sense what he's doing. And he begins to do things in your life if you have this constant conversation with him. So what are we supposed to pay attention to? Leadings, convictions, people, and directions. These are just a couple of things that we should pay attention to when we pray. Now you're like, Matt, what do you mean? Well, let's start with an easy one, convictions. If you're praying thinking about God, reading his word, worshiping him, talking and having a conversation with him, and all of a sudden, this thing pops up in you, like your bitterness towards this person comes to the forefront of your heart and mind in prayer. That's not you going, oh, that's crazy, I would think about that. That's the Lord going, hey, whoop, let's deal with this. If the, the lust that you've been hiding from everybody, raises up during your prayer time to the top of your thoughts. It's because God's convicting you. Those are convictions. Bitterness, envy, jealousy, strife, anger, hatred, any of those things that pop up in you when your prayer, those are convictions that God's going, hey, got to fix this. Conviction. Has anybody, I, well, don't answer that question. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's not happened to any of y'all because y'all live the perfect life. But for me, many times, several times in a week, in a month, there's these moments that pop up in my head. I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have treated that person that way. Why didn't I take that opportunity to talk to that person? And so on that line, there's convictions. I need to pay attention when those things come up in me because that's the Lord trying to convict me. Leadings, people, and direction. Now, sometimes these things can be tied together. Um, sometimes when you're in prayer, you're in a constant conversation with the Lord. You have a person come up in your mind or in your heart. You don't know why in the world they came up in that particular time. I'm not talking about like if you're dating or something and the girl you like just pops up into your head. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? It's a, no, she pops up into your head all the time. I get that, right? Uh, but if you have somebody that you know or haven't seen for a while, a friend, somebody at church, it raised up in your heart during that time. Man, I just thought about Kaylani in my prayer time, and I don't know what's going on with her today, God, but I just, I'm just going to pray for her. God, pray that whatever she's dealing with, that you'd give her wisdom, whatever decision she's got to make, that you make it clear. If she's afraid right now, just let your peace be with her. Whatever's going on in her, God, I want, I'm asking for your attention to be directed on the cares of her life at this moment. Somebody comes up in your heart. You got to pay attention when those things happen. If you're just thinking, oh, I'm just going to say the same thing. I'm just going to repeat the same prayer. I have a prayer book and I read these prayers because somebody wrote them down and said they're good prayers. They're supposed to help me. So I'm just reading them. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about reciting things, mantras, repeat the same prayer over and over and over again. Paul talks about that in another book saying, don't be like those people who constantly repeat themselves because they think they're heard because they say words just over and over again. He wants your attention to be focused on him in the time of prayer. That's why we talk about removing distractions when you pray. <clears throat> um, leadings, directions. Man, 
I'm making a decision about, I don't know, college, right? Like, so college A or college B. And I was set on college A, but the more I sit here and pray, the more that I ask the Lord to direct my steps and show me the right thing to do. And there's something in me, it's just kind of nudging me over, like leaning me towards college B. And I really want to go to this A one, but every single time I pray, it's just like, this just kind of directs my attention back here. That, that's very possibly the Spirit of God leading you in a direction. Um, am I supposed to take job A or job B? I really like job B. Benefits, time, hours, pay, all that, but ooh, there's something in me when I pray about it, just kind of, it's, it's kind of pushing me like right here. I can't explain it. It's just like, put your direction this direction over, over here to job A. These are the way that God leads you, but if you're not paying attention in prayer, or if you've got some method or formula that you're trying to blow through in your prayer time, you're going to miss all of this stuff. I was told as a young, as a young person that the way to, to live your life and to have joy, J-O-Y was an acronym. Anybody else heard this? First should be Jesus. O is others. Oh, somebody else got the same thing. Y is you, right? Jesus, others, you. If that's your priority structure in your life, you'll be fine. And they told me that if I would pray that same way, that I would have successful prayer time. That's how I'm supposed to pray. So I'm thinking, I got an hour, 60 minutes. And so the first part of it is, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I'm going through my routine. All the things I'm thankful for. My family, my friends, my, well, not my dog, because I didn't really like my dog. But I mean, like all these different things that I had. <clears throat> Definitely not cats. No one thanks the Lord for cats. Um, those things are demonic, straight from the pit. I hate those things. Um, and my son's allergic to them. See, confirmation, confirmation. Um, anyway, but I'm thankful for all these things. And I think about other people. And so I pray for the, the, my friends and my family and the govern, government and the president and all that kind of stuff. And if I have any time left, I bring my own needs before God. Well, I'm so busy that I do this right, that I get this formula right, that I do the J-O-Y thing right, that... I wasn't paying attention to when the Spirit of God said, stop, you're dealing with envy, bro. Let's deal with that first so I can, I can deal with some other things in you. Let's pull that out of you by the root. If you got some weird structure that you feel like you got to get through because that's how you pray, throw that out. Light it on fire. Don't go back to it. Burn that bridge. Because he's saying, have an alert mind and a grateful heart. I can't tell you how many times I have, again, I won't say other people, myself, I've, have gone into prayer being like, I can't believe so-and-so treated me that way or said that to me or acted like that towards me. I can't believe that they did that. And I approached it as if God go defend me because so-and-so did something I didn't like or said something I didn't like. And I realized after a while, I was praying with an entitled heart, not a grateful one. Because who am I to think people are not going to say stuff against me? I did all the right things, so no one gets to take shots at Matt ever? Entitlement, as opposed to gratitude. Thank you that I had the ability to even feel anything. That my that my heart and my spirit and my soul and my mind is not so cynical and jaded and calloused that I don't care. I'm just sitting here and 
been stewing and boiling in my own anger and hatred. Thank you, God, that I can feel. I don't like the way that I felt here, but show me how I'm supposed to pray for this person. See what I mean? Difference in the approach. Number three, pray for opportunities to proclaim. Next line of your notes, proclaim the gospel. Pray for opportunities to, to proclaim the gospel. <clears throat> Paul is asking his fellow believers in Christ to ask God to give him more opportunities to spread the, mess the message of the gospel. Now, when we were flying back from uh, Florida late, late on Tuesday night, um, they routed us from Tampa to Denver and then Denver to here. That was a four-hour flight. So I was very grateful that they had a whole bunch of free movies for me to watch. And so I watched um, the, uh, the story about Kurt Warner, the football player. I'm, who am I talking to? Cardinals fans, right? He took you all to the Super Bowl, right? Like, so, Underdog. American Underdog, is that what it's called? <clears throat> if you haven't watched that movie, it's a really great, super great story. Very clean movie, to my recollection. You know, it wasn't uh, nothing crazy in it. Um, but great story about how he found faith through his girlfriend, fiance, wife and how he went through all of this craziness to become a quarterback, Hall of Fame, MVP, Super Bowl champion, quarterback in the NFL. <clears throat> he was told no a bunch of times. He wasn't ready one time when he got a call from the Packers. You know, he went through all of this crazy stuff. He had to play in some, you know, some um, uh, arena ball league, which is like, the rednecks favorite sport in the world right like where i'm from like is tampa bay won that sucker forever the, the arena bowl championship they won that so many years in a row but he was playing there on this shortened field and this you know kind of a obscure thing and all he kept saying throughout the movie is i just want an opportunity all i want is an opportunity to show what i can do all i want is an opportunity i just give me a shot and I will capitalize and I will maximize that opportunity and I will show you what I can do. And as I watched him and they, they kind of told his story and the way the actor kind of portrayed, like he was just waiting for his shot. He was talking to agents. He was talking to coaches. He was talking to teams. He's talking to everybody going, look, I just need an opportunity to show you. I just need a shot to show you. And I thought how passionate and how dedicated was that man just for an opportunity? And do I approach the opportunities that God gives me to take the light of the gospel to other people with that same fervor? Well, Matt, you can't really compare those two things, right? Because one of them's NFL football and they're on TV and millionaires and all that kind of stuff. And that's his dream. And he just wanted to go fill his dream. Right. All of that, including the Hall of Fame, the gold jacket, the accolades, everything, temporary. Heaven, salvation, the gospel, eternal. How do I approach these opportunities? Because Paul is not only looking for his own, he's asking all the people in the church, hey, pray that I get some more of these. Because that same fervor, that same intensity of just give me an opportunity to slip in here, an open door, a window, a crack where I can tell you about the gospel that is burning in him in a way that it would burn in the movie that I saw this week. 
he fully recognizes that there is an opportunity here to create a massive difference. He not only prays for opportunities, but number four in your notes, he prays for the opportunity to proclaim the gospel clearly. Not just to proclaim the gospel, but to also proclaim the gospel clearly. There's two sides of this that I kind of saw is that one of them is when he gets in that moment, he don't want to choke. Anybody ever had a moment come where you were like, somebody asked a question and you were ready to respond and you went, uh, 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 instead of like give the answer? Like the teacher went around the room and was like when you were in school or college or whatever and you're like, who knows the answer to this question? You're like, I do. And then when all like the, the eyes were on you, you went, I can't say it. You know, I just I can't find my words. He wants to be able to communicate clearly. So there's a little bit of that. I don't want to get nervous. I don't want to get scared in that moment. I want to know exactly how to do this. So guide, uh, God, please guide me. But there's also another side of that that's preparing. I need to prepare to seize this opportunity. Let me go back to Kurt Warner here. He's not sitting around doing nothing, not watching football games, not studying film, not practicing his throw, not going to practice, not staying ready for when this opportunity comes. He's not just laying there on the couch eating Doritos and M&Ms, you know, like cheese puffs on his shirt and just, oh, the phone call, okay, I'll go play football now. No, he's staying ready when the opportunity comes. So there's a preparation that's happening in here in him here so there's two things there's a lot of things but there's two things specifically we as believers must immediately be prepared with to share the gospel letter a in your notes we need to be able to answer this question what is the gospel what is the gospel some people will say it's the bible it is not the gospel simply means good news the good news is in the Bible, but it's not the book itself. It's in there. So what is the gospel? If you don't know, the gospel is you have a sin problem. Every person ever born has a sin nature that is undefeated except for one person, and that's Jesus. You have screwed up, you have sinned probably more times than you can ever rec recollect or recount or think about in your life. You have screwed up. And the wages of sin is what? Yeah. Death. You are immediately, because of that sin nature, you cannot overcome it. You have to. You, you, you cannot do anything. You cannot perform any act. You cannot follow any rules long enough to get out of death, destruction, separation from God. Jesus did that for us, and simple faith in him washes all those sins. He takes the sacrifice in my place, and because of that faith, he makes me new. I am born again. I got a different perspective on life. I got a different outlook. I got a different attitude. There's things growing in me that I had no idea, and I have a power, the Holy Spirit, that's inside of me that is equipping me to live for him in a way I can never do on my own. That's the gospel. He died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, raised three days later, and faith in him, simple faith in him, gets that act of grace, that gift of grace for us, and now we get to go spend eternity with him. That's the gospel. Can you communicate that? 
Or do you hear it and go, yeah, like what he said? No, can you communicate that in, in words that would sound normal coming from you? Not to be like, can you say that again so I can record it and memorize it? No. Can you take that message and communicate it through your personality, your voice, your mouth, your lips, your perspective? Can you communicate it? That's the first thing. And the second thing we must be prepared to share immediately is, next on your notes, letter B, is how Jesus changed in my life. How Jesus changed in my life. Well, it's all well and good. You tell me about the gospel. That's great. I know a story too. Once upon a time, there was a, you know, we can tell stories all day. How do I know this is not just a story? Because I have faith in him. And let me tell you what the difference in my life is. I was a complete fraud. On the outside, I was kind and smiling and waving and, you know, the nice guy and all that kind of stuff. But inside, I was eaten up with jealousy, anger, hatred, envy, vengeance, strife, lust. I had all these things boiling on underneath and I was the worst hypocrite. And Jesus still saw all that took me, and I don't know how all the theology, I don't know all the, the books of the Bible in order or can make them rhyme in a song or something. I don't know how to quote a bunch of scriptures. I just know that was me. I had faith in him, and I am wildly different. All that stuff is dead, or it's dying in me constantly. I have a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness that I had no clue how to have before, but that changed my life. Can you communicate what Jesus did for you to someone else? Matt, how do I do that? You go practice. Practice? Yeah. Go somewhere by yourself when no one's at home. Get in your car. If you can drive now or you're not dead from teaching your teenagers how to drive, right? Like if you're not, if you're... If you hadn't lost your salvation from teaching them how to drive, um, but go somewhere in your car, sit somewhere, and talk this out at your lunch break by yourself. How would I say that? People are going to walk by and, and think I'm nuts. They already think you're crazy. You go to church on the weekends. You, sometimes you miss the game because you come to church. Sometimes you, 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 you sacrifice things you want to do to go clean up the streets for other people. Let the government do that. That's why we pay taxes. Why do you got to go do that? They don't already understand you. So figure out a way to communicate it in just a, a real short span of time. Why? Because he's saying, I, Paul, the guy writing this, wants to have a clarity in his communication when he has these opportunities. So for us, practice what you would say. So that we can immediately be ready right now to share if we walked out of here, stopped at Fry's to not buy ice cream, but broccoli on the way home. <clears throat> if those of you who are on a eating thing like I am, me and Ross and Christian, <laughs> all these guys, like don't buy the ice cream. If you go by the store for whatever reason and somebody, you have an opportunity to, to talk to someone, can you communicate what is the gospel and what Jesus did for you? Without going, Shonda, hallelujah, and like, like doing like a, like a Holy Ghost like little dance or something. Just in a normal voice, not a preacher voice. Then the Lord, scrub all that. How would you say? Because he made you. So he wants you to say it. 
how you're designed. Let's keep going. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. He says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you will have the right response for everyone. Number five in your notes, live wisely among non-believers. Live wisely among non-believers. This word wisely, I did some digging into it as well to give you two different definitions. And I, I think these are very interesting, especially the second one, okay? The definition of wisely, which is the Greek word Sophia, by the way. So, Sophie. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> you can find the root of your, your name there. You know somebody who doesn't act, whose name is Sophia and doesn't act wisely. You can say, hey, live up to your name. Thank you. Thank you. A little dad joke there for you. Um, but here's what the first definition is. Broad and full of intelligence. Intelligence used in the knowledge of very diverse matters. And here's the next one that really caught my attention, the next definition. Wisdom, both secular and divine. Wisdom, both secular and divine. <clears throat> I've said this here before, but I want to remind us, you do not have to turn off your brain or your intellect to serve God. He gave you a brain for a reason. He wants you to use it to reason, to think, to critically think, to, to examine the evidence. He wants you to do that. But look what he's saying here. Live wisely among non-believers. Use your intelligence, your secular intelligence, about how things work at your job, about the systems that we're involved in here in our country, about the right way to live, about the, the right way to make decisions, about the right way to, to look at the future, about the right way to participate, about the right way to act. And then also divine intelligence. I'm reading God's word. I'm understanding things that he's showing me. He's revealing things to me. Use both of them. Both of them as a way to live in a good light among non-believers. One thing that is wildly, wildly deficient in our great nation today is two words, common sense, common sense. Why? There is an intellectual honesty that comes with common sense. Men are men, women are women, boys are boys, girls are girls. The sky is up there, we are on the earth, right? There's a couple common sense things, right? All your common sense. If you live with common sense today, what happens? People look like you're crazy. How are you? So this is a, a, a perfect example of how to live wisely among non-believers. Common sense, critical thinking, intelligence about several things. Do you know what you're talking about, even if it's just in a specific area? Are you someone who could fix air conditioners? You understand how mechanics work. That is not me, but maybe it's you. If you understand all that, operate in that field. You're intelligent about a number of different things. And you have an intelligence and an understanding and a knowledge of the things of God. Use both of them together 
when you live amongst unbelievers. Why? Because it is a witness to them about the right way to live. Number six, he comes back to opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity. <clears throat> Notice that Paul is praying for not only an opportunity, but he wants to make the most of those opportunities. He wants to see the opportunity and not just have a clear way and, a, and, a not, and have, have a courage to present in that opportunity the gospel. He wants to know, he wants to rehearse and practice and be prepared for that opportunity. But when it comes, he wants to pull the trigger and make the most of that opportunity. Let's go back to my guy, Kurt. Kurt Warner. When he, he was playing in Iowa at this little bitty football league before he got the call to go to the St. Louis Rams. What happened when he got the call to go to the Rams? He had to sell his house. He had to move, he had to pack, he had to move to a different house. Anybody else ever moved and packed and sold the house and bought a house? Anybody else ever done that? How many of y'all still have that box in the back of your storage that you still haven't opened from when you moved three years ago? You don't even know what's in it, right? <clears throat> right. You just bought another storage shed and put it to the next one off to the side of the house like I did to contain the stuff because I don't know what's out there, right? So how many have done that? He had to do all of that. He had to learn a new offense. He had to learn a new playbook. He had to learn a new city. He had to learn a new cult, a, a culture. He had to figure out how to deal with this new coach. He had to figure out all of these things. It took effort to maximize and make the most of every opportunity he was given. But none of that mattered because he was ready and willing to step into the opportunity and make the most of it. What does that mean? Sometimes... Making the most of an opportunity means changing your schedule. Sometimes making the most of every opportunity means going out of your way. Sometimes making the most of every opportunity means shaking up your routine. <clears throat> it might mean moving somebody in your house for a week to try to help them navigate their life. That would be inconvenient that would be out of my routine that would be having to change my schedule learn a, a, a new way of doing something throughout the day all of those things might be required to make the most of an opportunity it might mean leaving 30 minutes earlier for work to pick somebody up to get them there with you so you can have them conversations it might mean you not being able to eat alone at lunch for the next two weeks because the person that you're training on the job at the warehouse or whatever, you need to pour some things into them. You have an opportunity because they're looking at you like, man, you've been doing this for a while, can you? And they've been talking to you about life, and now you can lean that into the gospel. Whatever it means, whatever the inconvenience, whatever the change be ready to maximize the opportunities that God gives you. The last two. <clears throat> um, I'm going to read this passage real quick. And as I was getting into it, and as I've read this before, and again, this um, as I was preparing for this weekend, I read these next you know, nine verses and was like, what's that got to do with us? You know what I mean? He's like, it seems like personal stuff. And, I, and I'll... 
say why, because he's kind of signing off the letter and talking about all the people who are with them and say hi to this person and that person. Let me read this real quick, and then I'll show you, and I'll share with you what the Lord kind of put in my heart about this. <clears throat> he says in verse 7, Tychus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose to let you know how we are doing and how to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychus will tell you everything that's happened here. Um, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They're willing, um, they are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and for the believers in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha who's, uh, and the church that meets in her house. After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too, and you should read the letter I wrote them. Now I was reading that, and I was really tempted to be like, ah, skip, and go to the end of the chapter. Because I was like, what relevance does all that have? It's like people that I don't know saying hello, people I never heard of saying what they were doing with him. And then, so I was really tempted to just be like, eh, I'm not really sure what to say about that, let's move over it. And as I was preparing and praying about this, the Lord showed me something I never caught before. Number seven, do not work alone. Do not work alone. As I'm reading this and as I, it, it dawned on me, I feel like the Spirit of God kind of showed me, hey, uh, Paul's not the lone ranger out here. You kind of get that idea, right? Because he wrote most of the Old Testament. You get the idea that he's running around here, he's out here writing these letters, he's out here in prison, and he's out here doing all this stuff, and you never really think about who went with him. He doesn't accomplish nearly as much as all that stuff if these people aren't with him. Who delivers the letters that he's writing from prison? Does it say that he hand-delivered a letter? Why would he do that? He'd just go there and tell them what he wanted to say. He's sending these these letters to all of these cities through trusting other people. Paul rolled deep. He had a crew with him. He had people. And then I thought, oh my goodness. This is exactly what he's encouraging all of us to do as Christians and believers to get together with other believers as a gathering, a fellowship of people because it doesn't matter if the world's making fun of you or you got mocked for taking the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and they ridiculed you. None of that matters. Why? You got people. You got backup. You got a crew. You rolled deep. At RCC, we rolled out 60 people deep. Man, if something terrible happens to you, guess what? You got a crew that would love to step in and try to help. If something 
went off the rails in your life and you need some guidance and some help to get back on track, guess what? you got a crew of people that would love to help, at least to pray for you. You are not alone. First of all, the Spirit of God is with you, but he's given you other people, other believers that we're gathering with in this community to say, I'm with you. You got people. Tychus, he was a faithful helper and a servant and a messenger. Anybody else know a servant or a messenger? A servant in this house? Like almost all of you? My sister-in-law, Danielle, her number one goal in life is to help you accomplish what you want to do. It's not because she's insecure about what she, what she does. She knows exactly that her gift is helping. Onesimus, a local dude. You've been in this town forever. You're a unicorn, but, you know, like Sergio, like he's from here, right? Like, and everyone else is from somewhere else, right? Most of us are from somewhere else. Aristarchus and Mark, they're both prisoners for preaching the gospel. They're out with Paul, taking that same message to other directions that he can't go because he's one person. Justice, he's a Jewish believer, somebody who's been deeply rooted in Judaism and understands what these these religious folks want to do to Paul. Epaphras, the guy who founded the Colossian church, and it references twice that he's a prayer warrior. Any prayer warriors in this room? Luke, a beloved doctor, not just a doctor, someone who had a vocation, but a beloved doctor. I mean, he was good at his job and everybody wanted to go to him. Is there anybody that's so good at your profession that everybody goes, dude, I don't even care what you believe. I just want to deal with you. Because you're so good at what you do. Are you excellent in what you put your hands to do? Like Luke was. Demas, he's an outsider, a Gentile believer. He wasn't even a, a Jew. He's a Gentile guy, so he's on the outside. Timothy, this whole letter was from Paul and Timothy. He's a young pastor and minister in training. You got a prayer warrior. You got somebody who's a young person in training, like a youth group, like a young pastor. You got a vocational guy who's doing excellent stuff, a prayer warrior. You got people who are speaking with Paul. You got people who are delivering the letters. You got messengers. You got servants. You got local folks. You got people who grew up in the church and who just came to the church because they'd never been in the church in their whole life. You got a wildly, wildly diverse group of people that attach because of Jesus and they all become family because we are all adopted into the family of God. And guess what? He says, y'all stay together. Look out for each other. Help each other accomplish the work that, that I'm putting in front of you. And if you don't know what to do, find your role because next line in your notes, everyone has a role in God's plan. Not Drake's song, but God's actual plan. Everyone's got a role in God's plan. You will never know the extent of good that you have done until you get to heaven and see what the Lord sees. You helped this person, this person invested in this person, this person went and preached the gospel and 10,000 people got saved. And that happened because you helped at this point and, these, and didn't leave this person hanging. And he shows you this thing like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was even a part of that. That's when he starts dulling out rewards. You, every one of you, 
If you're a believer in Christ, has a role to play in God's plan. And the last one, <clears throat> Colossians 4, verse 17. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Now, I was in Florida this past week with my, with my redneck folks, so I almost said Archippus, but I knew that was wrong. <clears throat> but Archippus. Anybody ever heard of Archippus before in the Bible? Anybody ever heard of him? Yeah, me neither. You know why? Because this is one of the only references to him. And no one knows what he was. There are scholars who believe he was Philemon's son. Remember the book of Philemon? Paul wrote the letter to Philemon. They believe he's his son. But no one knows what, there's no record, so no one knows what his ministry was supposed to be. I thought, well, does that apply to us? And then it hit me. This is not in here by accident. It's not in here by accident. It's not recorded by accident. And I think it's left general on purpose because I think it applies to all believers generally. <clears throat> Notice he doesn't say, be sure to preach real good next week when you're walking over to Laodicea. Hey, Archippus, listen to your mama. Archippus, go help your dad. Archippus, go out there and be faithful to your family. He doesn't get any specific. He just says, hey, go do what the Lord told you to do. Go do what the Lord told you to do. And notice this is a public letter. And he says, he doesn't say, tell him that I said. He says, say to him, go do what you're supposed to do. You know what that tells me? Archippus knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing. And he wasn't doing it. Or he was afraid to do it. And guess what? Other people knew what he was supposed to be doing. It was wildly evident, wildly evident what Archippus' calling was, and he was still afraid of it. So I wrote this reflection question as a last thing on the paper for us to think about now and later this week. Are you doing what the Lord has instructed you to do? <clears throat> Are you doing what the Lord instructed you to do? <clears throat> Matt, um, not really sure what that is. Okay, no problem. Happens. People lose sight of it. People don't, they aren't familiar. They haven't spent a lot of time in prayer asking God. They haven't really been taught how to hone in on that yet. No problem. Well, what am I supposed to do if I don't know if I haven't been given my instructions yet. What am I supposed to do if I'm looking around going, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. What am I supposed to do during the meantime? If you flip the page back over, devote yourself to prayer. Pray with an alert mind and a grateful heart. Pray for opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Pray for opportunities to proclaim it clearly. Live wisely among non-believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Do not work alone or try to roll alone. Do those seven things. And if you are in constant communication with your creator, if you're in constant prayer with him, 
You're listening, you're alert, you're preparing your heart, you're understanding what the gospel is, you're communicating in a way that is unique to you. You are comfortable telling other people, this is what Jesus did in my life. You are living wisely, secular intelligence and divine intelligence coming together to live wisely in front of non-believers. You are making the most of every opportunity that is given to you to proclaim the gospel, to show the gospel, to clean up a street, to come and serve other people, to learn about Jesus, to, to learn about his word, to give your gift, to serve, to serve God, to serve other people in the church and other people in the world. You do all of that. You consistently do all of that what you're supposed to do is going to become abundantly clear. Because you're going to try something and be like, ooh, this is not for me. And then someone's going to give you a mic and say, why don't you come sing? And be like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Someone's going to teach you how to run a tech thing or a camera or, or to to direct traffic and lead things on uh, on things for in our context thrive or something like that you'd be like oh this is whoo there's something about this when i get there kind of opens up the flower isn't closed anymore it kind of blooms open when it's in this moment there's something here that is man is defining for me i'm going to get involved in it and i go and i go back and i pray god is this what i'm supposed to be doing and my mind starts drifting that way and i have plans and strategies and fulfillment that is tied to this ah now don't be afraid to go act on what the lord is leading you guiding you directing you to do go do what you are supposed to do here's the hard part even if it's not here. I don't want any of you to leave. We're going to go through life together until all of it comes to an end. Never. It's all going to be us. But in my experience of following the Lord, it's never how it works. And from a church perspective, if we try to go like this, don't leave. It's going to be rough when Someone goes, I love you, but I got to go. I have to move to this country to help these people find Christ. And they do that because I dig water wells for them. And they go, thank you. And I say, there is a living water that you can have and never thirst again. My, me and my family are supposed to move to X, Y, and Z state, city, country, whatever. We're supposed to go do that. We'll cry. We'll hug. We'll guilt trip you a little bit, I'm sure. We'll tell dumb jokes as you walk out the door because I'm the king of those, right? But guess what? Go do what you're supposed to do because you've got a role to play. Paul ends this entire letter, action. I hit your mind, I hit your heart, doctrine, understanding, all of that. Now, put it into practice. Learning, application. Learning, application. When you come here, learning, application. When you hear something you've never heard before, learning application 
how it applies to your life will be different than it applies to mine. But it applies nonetheless. It applies nonetheless. Go do what God has instructed you to do. And if you don't know what that is, become an expert at the first seven and number eight will become clear. It will become clear. That's Colossians. Wildly applicable to us. Very direct messaging for us and a whole lot of things to apply for us. I beg of you, do not come here and learn and go, interesting. If someone ever says the name Archippus, I can go, yeah, he was in Colossians chapter four, right? I heard that at church. Who cares? Apply it. Prepare now. Answer the question, what is the gospel? Answer, how, what did Jesus do for you? Prepare for it now so that when the opportunity comes, and I'm praying that the opportunities come for every single one of you. We're going to pray that together here at the end. You might be like, wait, bro. I'm not ready. Get ready because whether you like it or not, people out there need what you have. So let's not wait and be passive any longer. Let's do exactly what Paul has instructed us and what the Spirit of God is instructing us to do together.